Hi, everyone. It's good to see you. Uh, if I don't know you, my name's Simon. I'm a member of the church here. Uh, first of all, I think uh, it'll be really good just to recognize those behind the scenes. In my preparation, and you realize that, that as you serve uh, the people that get involved in things and the flurry of emails that are going back and forth to, uh, as we prepared for our talk. So we just want to say thank you to everyone who's involved in making these services happen. I just want to particularly mention Tim, Will, and Mike at the back there. Uh, for Doris, for her beautiful uh, flower image here as well. And anyone else behind the scenes. We really want to say thank you to you for your service. Today, uh, we continue our series in the book of Daniel. Last week, we were in the fiery furnace. And this week, we are in the lion's den. Daniel and God's people remain in Babylonian exile, but King Nebuchadnezzar from last week, he's gone. We've also gone through King Belshazzar, who's been slain, and now we find ourselves in the reign of King Darius the Mede. It would seem that Babylonia goes through the amount of kings as we do prime ministers. But before we get into the passage, let's start with a quiz. So I'm going to show you six images, and I'd like you to see if you can figure out the connection between them all. Okay, so what do they have in common? Here we go. It's going to give you a moment of thinking time. So we have Shane Warne from top left across, Elvis Presley, Mo Salah, Benny Goodman, Rafael Nadal, and Simba. Has anyone got any idea? Has anyone got any idea what they all have in common? Not a lion, Doris? They've been known as kings. That is correct. Well done. So Shane Warne, anyone want to shout out? He's known as the king of? The king of spin. Elvis, the king of rock and roll. Mo Salah, the Egyptian king. He's actually had a song written for him called Mo Salah, the Egyptian king. We have Benny Goodman. Anyone? The king of swing. Rafael Nadal is the king of... King of clay. Unbeaten. Well, he's not unbeaten, but uh, pretty much unbeatable on clay. And we have Simba, the lion king. And I want to start there today because our key question at the start of our talk today is, who is the king of kings? Who is the true king? In his book, Making Faith Magnetic, theologian Daniel Strange argues that we've all been made in the image of God, and we've all been made by God for relationship with him. And therefore, therefore, as human beings, there are things that are common to all of our experience. There is a sense of there being a greater reality, a higher power, and the need to connect to it. However, often, instead of turning to God, he describes how human beings suppress the truth and substitute God with all kinds of other things, both in the real world and in the world of our imagination. As human beings, we can often suppress the truth and substitute God as the king of the universe, as the king of our lives, and as the king of our hearts. And I start there because this is exactly what the administrators and the satraps seek to do in Daniel chapter 6. They seek to suppress the reality of Daniel's God being the one true God. And they seek to substitute him with King Darius as the one that Daniel should pray to and bow down before. 
So I'm going to split up Daniel 6 into three sections, and the first one comes in verses 1 to 9. So if you've got a Bible with you, you can turn to Daniel chapter 6, and we can also follow the passage on the screen. So, Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them, so that the king might not suffer loss. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce a decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Wow. So, the key verse here is, we're going back to the PowerPoint, we will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. When Moses addresses the people in Deuteronomy, he constantly reminds people of God's great power and awesome deeds in rescuing them from slavery in Egypt. The Exodus was an undeniable experience of God's presence and power through which the existence, identity, and character of the living God is revealed. Moses says in Deuteronomy 4, you were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Besides him, there is no other. Daniel knows this not only through the law of God, but through his own experience, including, as we saw last week, of God's rescue from the fiery furnace. To Daniel, Daniel, uh, God is the one and only Lord, the one and only King. So Daniel lives out the exclamation of the Psalms. Clap your hands, all ye nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. For the Lord Most High is awesome, the great King over all the earth. Daniel puts into practice the cries of the prophets, the cries of Jeremiah, God's messenger to his people, just before the Babylonian exile, who says, Hear what the Lord says to you, Israel. This is what the Lord says. Do not learn the ways of the nations or be terrified by signs in the heavens, though the nations are terrified by them. For the practices of the people are worthless. No one is like you, Lord. You are great, and your name is mighty in power. Who should not fear you, king of the nations? This is your due. So in Daniel chapter 6, whilst the administrators, out of pride and out of envy, seek to suppress the truth of who God is and substitute him with King Darius, Daniel continues to live unto the lordship of God as his king. He is first and foremost accountable to the law of God, not to the law of the Medes and the Persians, 
and so refuses to pray to King Darius and gives his undivided loyalty to God, King of all the earth. Now, just as Daniel existed in an environment where people are seeking to suppress the truth and substitute God, I want to suggest to you today that we too live in such a society. People substitute the creator with the created. In our quiz at the start, one of the photos was of Elvis Presley, the king of rock and roll. So there's a musical theme there. And when we visited Liverpool Museum this week, I spotted this T-shirt. And it features a headline from a newspaper stating that teenagers want the Beatles more than Jesus. People substituting the creator with the created. In our quiz, we had a photo of Mo Salah, the Egyptian king, which reminded me of this famous quote of Bill Shankly's former Liverpool manager. Some people believe football is a matter of life and death. I'm very disappointed with that attitude. I can assure you it is much, much more important than that. People substituting the creator with the created. And I want to encourage us today to open up ourselves to God and say, God, search me, search my heart and search my life. Is there anything and in any way where you have been substituted in my life? Where you have been taken off of the throne of my life? I'll be honest, this football one is quite appropriate for me. Because at times, football has been taken too uh, special a place in my life. And I was speaking to Ivy about this this morning, and she said, but football's a really good thing because I get to hang out with my friends, and it's really good because I get to exercise and it keeps me active. So I don't want you to hear me wrong. There is so much in the world around us that is good, and it can be good for us. Uh, however, for me, it's a question of affection and attention. Sometimes things around us can take the attention of my life or the affection of my heart that is due to God. And so I just want you to open up yourselves. God, is there anything in my life that is taking too much attention or too much affection? Please don't hear me wrong, because I don't want to lead us down a legalistic path or an ascetic path where we see everything outside of God as bad, because there's so much good in the world. And, and these things can be so good for us and can be channels of, of worship and channels of witness. So please don't hear me wrong. But I just want us to be honest with ourselves and be honest with God. God, search me. Is there anything that is taking too much attention or affection that is vying to be king of my life? And so for me, I go through seasons of fasting from football. So I fasted from football on a Sunday uh, when our kids were born because I was watching uh, football on the telly and the kids wanted to play with me and I kept on telling them to be quiet and push them away. That's not right. So I fasted from football on a Sunday. I fasted from football on a Sunday when Hannah and I were leading the youth group at our house because it was too much of a distraction. And, and if, if my team lost, my emotions would be all over the place and it would just be, just be a, a distraction to me. It was affecting me my affections, and my attention. And for the last four months, I've been fasting from football. I watched my first football match with Scott on Monday, so if it's a slippery slope, Scott, I've got you to blame. (laughs) Because at the end of last season, 
football was just, it was taking up too much of my attention and my affection, and I had to let it go for a bit. So if there is something that God's like, look, that's a bit too important to you. It's taking up too much of your attention, your affection. Can I encourage you to maybe think about fasting from it and praying through it and maybe do it with a friend or tell someone about it to help so you've got some encouragement and some support. Because you want to make sure that God is the king of our lives. We want to make sure that we are not substituting the creator with the created. However, I also want to suggest that it's not just the created that we put on the throne, but sometimes, actually, it's ourselves. In our quiz, we had Simba, the Lion King, who sings the song, I just can't wait to be king. Okay, I'm going to sing to you now. Here we go. Feel free to join in if you know the words. No one's saying, do this. No one's saying, be there. No one's saying, stop that. No one's saying, see here. Free to run around all day. Free to do it all my way. Oh, I just can't wait to be king. Free to do it all my way. I can't wait to be king. It reminds me of a song by Imagine Dragons called Believer. Here we go. Just join in if you know it. First things first, I'ma say all the words inside my head. I'm fired up and tired of the way the things are being, oh. We're going to go for the top note. The way the things are being, oh. Nice. Okay, here's the key bit. Second thing, second, don't you tell me what you think that I could be. I'm the one at the cell. I'm the master of my CEO. The master of my CEO. Nice. I'm the one at the sale. I'm the master of my sea. Don't you tell me what you think I could be. I'm the master. That song has been listened to over two billion times on Spotify and over two billion times on YouTube. We live in an age of individual expressionism. We want to be the masters of our seas and the masters of our own destinies. And so instead of looking up, we look down into ourselves for the answers to the deepest questions of life. We look into ourselves for our own truth, for our own reality, for our own sense of worth and purpose. We substitute God with ourselves when actually what we need is saving from ourselves. Queen Elizabeth in 2011 said this in her Christmas Day speech. Although we are capable of great acts of kindness, history teaches us that we sometimes need saving from ourselves, from our recklessness or our greed. God sent into the world a unique person, neither a philosopher nor a general, important though they are, but a savior with the power to forgive. We sometimes need saving from ourselves. And so, in Daniel chapter 6... The administrators and the satraps suppress the truth of who God is and seek to substitute him with King Darius. However, Daniel is loyal and faithful and he's thrown into the lion's den. And it's in the lion's den that the truth of God and the truth of God's salvation is witnessed. Let's turn back to our passage in Daniel chapter 6. 
We're going to read verse 16, and then we're going to skip on to verses 19 to 23. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. And then skipping down. Smooth. Well played, Mike. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They've not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. I want to suggest to you this morning that the lion's den, instead of suppressing truth, which is what the satraps were seeking to do, the lion's den reveals truth. And I want to focus on three truths I'd like to focus on, all of which point to the cross and point to the salvation that God offers us through Jesus Christ. Firstly, the lion's den reveals to us the reality of our situation and the darkness that surrounds us. The world is broken. Humanity is captive to sin, and we are caught up in it ourselves. And we cannot fix it ourselves. We need redemption. Unless we're saved, we'll be devoured by the lions. Unless we're rescued, we'll remain trapped in the darkness. As Tim Keller says, the cross tells us that there must be something seriously wrong, as it wouldn't have taken the death of the Son of God to deal with it. But that's not the end, is it? Secondly, the den reminds us that our God is a God of rescue. Hallelujah. He intervenes. Now, in the den, he sends what is described as an angel into the darkness of the den to save Daniel. And so, in the same way, God intervenes, sending Jesus into the darkness of our broken world and our fallen humanity to rescue us and bring us new life in all its fullness. I want you just to maybe meditate on that image for a few moments. When C.S. Lewis, uh, could you get my water bottle, please? When C.S. Lewis was trying to explain this, this idea of God descending into the darkness to rescue us, he used this image. He wrote of the image of a diver plunging down into a deep, dark pool with all of the dangers and the risks involved. And the diver goes right down into the darkness at the bottom, and he retrieves something. The diver comes back to the surface, lungs bursting and gasping for air, holding up something that he's retrieved, and that is us. That diver is Jesus. And that is the truth. It is God alone who saves through Jesus. And salvation is found in Christ alone. Jesus is the one 
that Isaiah writes about when he says, see, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. Jesus is the one who comes beyond Daniel as the promised Messiah. Jesus is the one who comes and manifests himself, God as king, and announcing the kingdom of God. Jesus continues the uniqueness of God that we've seen in the Old Testament, rescuing his people. And he is the uniqueness of Jesus, the savior of the world in the new. He carries on the uniqueness of God. They are of one and the same divine reality. And Jesus is the one when Peter, standing before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4, says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. God in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, Jesus the King. And I want to just highlight a detail here. As Daniel is lifted from the darkness of the den into the light of the open air, he declares, I was found innocent in his sight. In the same way, we are lifted out of the darkness of our condition, and we are found innocent in God's sight because of Jesus. John Stott writes, Having lived a life of perfect righteousness, he identified himself in his death with our unrighteousness. He bore our sin, our guilt, our death in our place in order that we might be forgiven. We are made righteous before God through Jesus. And then the third truth that the den points to is how precious we are to God and how deeply he loves us. God rescues his people out of slavery in Egypt out of love. God rescues Daniel from the lion's den out of love. And God sends Jesus to rescue us out of love. John writes, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The measure of the love of God is the cross of Christ, where the Father gave his Son so that we might live. As Tim Keller says, how profoundly valuable we must be to God, see what he was willing to pay to have us come into his family. And that's why Peter says, you know, it wasn't the perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed with, but with the precious blood of Christ. Now this is really, really important. Do you know how much God loves you today? Do you know the depths of God's love? See what he was willing to pay for you. How much he must love us. And Daniel Strange, who I quoted at the start, says this. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ that we are to root ourselves. We are united to Christ by God's Spirit. We become his servants, his chosen ones, his friends. 
We experience the humble confidence and security in knowing who we are, in knowing we are His. So whatever life throws at us, when we're crushed by criticism, or threatened by danger, or feel like we don't belong, we can remember that we belong to Christ. Treasured, safe, secure. The lion's den points to the truth of our salvation. It points to the darkness that surrounds us. It points to our need for a savior. And it points to that savior being Jesus Christ. There is no other. And God sent Jesus out of love so that we can root ourselves in him, treasured, safe, and secure. You see, the problem is when we seek to suppress that truth, and substitute God with other things or with ourselves as the king of our lives, we're not rooted in Christ, and we don't find that we are treasured, safe, and secure. Can I encourage all of us here today to root your identity in Jesus? Do you know, it's so easy to root our identity in other things, to root our sense of worth in other things. It might be our career. It might be our qualifications. It might be the things that we own. It might be how we look. It might be the amount of likes or followers that we have on social media. Don't root yourselves in those things because your identity is secure in Jesus because in him you always know that you have worth. You always know that you are treasured, that you are loved, that you belong, that you are safe, that you are secure, that you are significant. All those things are found in Jesus. So root your identity in him today. And that's exactly what Daniel does. Daniel was in a high position of authority and power and influence. And he was due a promotion. He was about to get even more. But his, his identity wasn't rooted in that. It wasn't rooted in God. And so he was willing to give up all that for God. He was willing to be, throw that away and to be thrown in the lion's den. Because his identity was rooted in God. But that's not the end of the story. And often we, it can be tempting just to stop there. It's not just what we're freed from and what we're rooted in. It's actually what we're freed for. So what did Daniel rescue God for? Well, God's rescue of Daniel leads to the glorification and worship of God. So we read in Daniel chapter 6, verse 25 to 27. King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and revere the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, for he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So in the same way, we can ask today, What has God rescued us for? 
Paul writes this to the church in Philippi. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. The gospel calls us out of living for ourselves and living for the glory of God. You know, when Jesus says, let your light shine before others, it's so that your good deeds might glorify your Father in heaven. It's so that your good deeds might cause others to praise your Father in heaven. And so, instead of suppressing the truth and substituting God, we embrace the truth, place Jesus on the throne of our hearts and our lives, that others may too come to worship him. John Stott writes this, God's purpose in exalting Jesus was that every knee should bow to him and every tongue confess him as Lord. Therefore, if it is God's desire that everybody acknowledge Jesus, it must be our desire as well. Only Jesus is Lord. He has no rivals. This is what we've been rescued for. To declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I'd like to leave you with a picture. And if, if you would allow me just some artistic license here. Uh, in, in light of the Queen's passing, I found this image online and I thought it was really powerful and represents this idea of bowing down before Jesus, the King of Kings. Just to give you a moment just to reflect on that image. Queen lays down her crown before Jesus, the King of Kings. Jesus, at whose name every knee should bow and every tongue acknowledge that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I like this quote from J.I. Packer to finish. My business, therefore, in all of my living is to trust Jesus. To obey Jesus, to love Jesus, to exalt Jesus, to worship Jesus, to draw strength from Jesus, to rejoice in Jesus, to give him thanks, abide in him, and look forward in hope to to the day when Jesus will come to take me to be at home with him. Exalting Christ by worship, witness, and service should be our constant aim. And so I'd like to use Daniel 6 to encourage us in several things today. It's this idea of not suppressing the truth and substituting God, but embracing the truth and placing God, placing Jesus as the king of all the earth, the king of our lives, and the king of our hearts. So firstly, I'd like us just to weigh God's come and search me and search my life and search my heart 
Is there anything that is taking that affection and attention away from you? Is there any way that I have substituted you as Lord of my life? And secondly, I want us to embrace the truth that there is only one Lord, one God, one Jesus, Savior of the world. The dead points to the darkness, but it points to Jesus, the Savior. And in him, we can root our identity as ones who are loved and treasured and safe and secure. And then finally, as being those people, let's go out and encourage others to bow their knee before Jesus too, because he came to save them as well. So let's shine our lights so that others might praise God in heaven, so that others might bow before Jesus as Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your words. Thank you for the life of Daniel and his witness, his life of undivided loyalty to you as king. May that be of us too. Send us your Holy Spirit, Lord, to help us, to help us to place you firmly on the throne of our lives. Lord, we open up ourselves. Show us, Lord, if there's anything that is trying to get in the way of you, would you highlight that for us and give us the strength that we need to grow in that? Lord, would you give us a greater conviction and confidence in your salvation that we might be able to live out and declare that Jesus is the Savior of the world? Thank you, Father, that you did not abandon us in the darkness, but you stepped into the darkness to save us out of love. Father, thank you for loving us so much. And Holy Spirit, come and motivate us out of love for you to shine our lights that others might give you glory, that others might bow before your throne and declare that Jesus is Lord. Amen.